Welcome to the WNCA Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. WNCA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with the partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassoc.org. I'll have those in the show notes. So I'm going to pump up why you should come to Europe. Besides, it's just a great place to go see. But if you want to learn about civil affairs and, and understanding our tradecraft, doing it here with our NATO allies is phenomenal. It's just an opportunity that you won't get anywhere else. Today, we welcome Albert Augustine, G9 at Fifth Corps. Albert came on to discuss the changes in Army training in Europe and how they impact civil affairs. Additionally, we discuss how CA members can get a tour and how to prepare for a gig at Fifth Corps or in Europe. So let's get started. Most people on this podcast don't realize that I also write on a blog called 46X. Even though I, I post some of the articles on the CA Association, I think you're the only person who read them. <laughs> <laughs> I am sure there's more than just me, but yes, I am aware of that, Jack. <laughs> well, and it's funny because we were talking earlier and I was thinking, I'm like, yeah, Albert is the guy that actually would comment back about some of my, some of my writings. And I'm like, oh man. You know? Hopefully I said nice things. I'm not feel bad. <laughs> well, I've grown since then. So maybe it was a, you know, a, you know, learn how to punctuate or something like that. And a kind of comment. There you go. No, no, I, I'm hoping it's just, it was just trying to help in a effort oh, I'm sure. to, spur conversation yeah so. yeah absolutely I, I never and i'll be honest people who sharpshoot me i deserve it i should you know if i'm writing for public affairs i better be pristine in my in my you know language so writing is difficult yeah so writing yeah. is difficult getting a thought across to you know another person is difficult no matter which way you do yeah, it I, I do applaud you jack because it does help um it one it furthers the profession as well as it's helping with um, consolidating and crystallizing ideas. Right. So it's a great way, like I said, to, to spur conversation. Well, this is something that in the DOD side, this is where we disagree. I believe that PAOs should have their own brand. And I think that by having a an external voice that you represent yourself, or if you have a company, or if you do private work, I think it builds your skill to where you actually realize the effect of communication. And if you just stick to whatever... DOD does, you're going to be very limited in, in your skills and you're going to come out and not be employable, to tell you the honest truth. And so that's what I was trying to do is encourage people to be more aggressive with their skills, to be out there and to train and to see what you know life is really like as a public affairs person. There's, there's, so. there's always pluses and minuses to every situation. And there are some risk by doing that also. And you're aware of that also. Oh, sure. Um, by putting yeah, yourself I've had out a lot there. of silent so. stalkers, you know, and if I do something and it causes drama they jump right out <laughs> from under the covers and i saw it i showed yeah i knew it <laughs> <laughs> but you know 90 uh, percent of doing great stuff and then every once while you you know screw it up and you back up and start over and it's it's a good thing well getting better is always important getting better so. yes or else it's it's uh insanity because you keep circling around trying to do the same thing and come out with a new <laughs> conclusion <laughs> <laughs> so you used to be at setaf Helping do plans for Army Africa, right? In the nine shop? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In, in the G9, yes. Right, right. And then 
you have now since moved over to fifth core. I've moved around a little bit. Um, yeah. So I went to ASG Kuwait and was able to do some work there as the director of host nation affairs. And now I'm here in fifth core as the G9. Oh, were you working diplomacy or like partner nation engagement? Uh, partner nation engagements. Yeah. Was it cool? Did you enjoy it? Um, and then one of the great things about the army, at least for civil affairs, they've been very interesting jobs, outstanding opportunities, working with our partners, working, supporting the army has, have been very rewarding. So you're, are you AGR? No, no, I'm active duty. Oh, so you're active duty. So you're part of the battalions out of South Carolina. I'm an active duty officer. Like I said, I'm assigned here. Right. Yeah. So interesting because usually when I think of active duty CA, I think of the, the brigades. Most of the civil affairs officers and NCOs reside with the 95th Civil Affairs Brigade. There are, and I don't even know what the exact number is, that are um, supporting geographic combatant commands as well as the ASCCs. So you're kind of like a free agent in a way because you go from active duty unit to active duty unit as a CA. <laughs> That's one way yeah, of looking at it. Yeah. yeah. Even though the gravity of Fort Liberty pulls at you, you seem able to jump to another job. So that's cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I said, there's multiple jobs that are outside of the brigade also that need to get filled. And I've been fortunate to be able to do that for civil affairs. So cool. Very happy. Yeah. Yeah. Fulfilling. The, the jobs have been held yeah. holding. Yes. Yeah. I would say so. Like I said, it's a great opportunity to work for the military and then with host different host nations, as well as in some cases our NATO allied partners. And the reason you reached out is because you are now a part of fifth Corps, and you wanted to talk about, the mission going on, why CA is important there, and what, what the future holds, right? Uh, yes. For my jumping around where I'm at now with a, a core level and probably bounce that off of some of the, uh, the things that are currently going on, the changes in strategy for the military, as well as real-world events, um, I, I think there's a, a good discussion point, cores, divisions, large-scale combat operations, kind of those kind of focuses. Cool. And do you feel like you have a part of that strategy as a CA officer? I'm able to both influence a little bit of that, although most of that's done at a little bit higher level where we do help a little bit. Like I said, for the core specifically, I do for civil affairs and then down to the, our down trace units and supporting and basically turning that strategy into operations and, and tactical task for them. Sure. But I mean, big army and the puzzle palace must send down things to say, hey, what is your opinion on civil affairs and influence or in operations or in a contingency, right? So you probably get some, some signature time. I haven't time seen it in, much no? at this level yet. But like I said, our core standing up and what we've been faced okay. with, uh, with some of the problems in Europe have been the biggest thing that we've been focused on. I'm right. sure that does happen maybe a little bit more in the, uh, the plane shop. And we have some people over there who are, are in the planning cell who might be doing that a little bit more than I see it from the G9 shop. And so you're mostly focused on getting people downrange to do things like work with the Polish to build up, you know, support for multilateral operations. And yes. So our mill-to-mill connections, working with our CIMIC partners, our um, NATO allies, the battle groups, and then a little bit with the core. So the, there are NATO cores with the G9 folks sure. who are in there and working with them. And then just overall with the U.S. military. Sure. To be fair, there's a lot that's going on in the, you know, obviously because of world events going on in the theater, obviously trying to help focus host nations and seeing the U.S. presence 
in some of the countries that typically, you know, don't have a huge U.S. presence. So Poland's a great example of that right this second as we're building up that and then trying to work our relationships with that. And then on the military side also. Right. Are you doing a lot of prep for Ukraine conflict, post-conflict or Ukraine soldier training, stuff like that? So there is an aspect of that in, in Europe right this second. And we have uh, a group that stands up that has stood up to do that. Fifth Corps helps a little bit with that. And then U.S. Army Europe, Africa is helping with that. So, right. yeah, it's a very difficult problem set. It is. I'm trying to do the, the training and, and it's very but it's It's such a tough, tough gig. Recently, my wife and I went and saw Oksana Makarova. Yeah. The uh, Ukraine ambassador to the U.S., she was speaking at a small group, and she looked so tired. She she had been pitching and fighting and trying to get as much support as possible, but you could see that the years of conflict have been tough on her, you know. Um, but she, she was steadfast. She was dogged, so I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine how difficult it is right now. Like I said, the fight is still going on, and their, their folk, the Ukraine Ukrainian uh, army is focused on winning that and the government that they have in place is focused on winning that and everyone trying to, to support that effort. It's just a difficult situation. And, and hopefully the, with continued effort, we'll, we'll see some sure. improvements over time. But that you also have to worry about the rest of Europe with fifth Corps as well. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say it that way. Cause my boss said the same thing. It's not the Europe is more than just Ukraine there. That's a important and right. big piece of what's going on. But yes, there's a lot of other aspects of what we've been doing in, in trying to, to mitigate Russian influence as well as some of the just supporting NATO in, in general, which has been a huge change um, since the two long wars right. ended. I'm sure you're getting a lot of partner nation requests for support, mm-hmm. especially, you know, like Dova, because they yeah. have Russian troops right there in Transnistria. <laughs> So I know it's very real for them on trying to block political influence or economic influence from from their Russians so that they don't prop up a proxy you know, leader who then declares Russia as their sole partner and calls for Russian troops to come in and help protect the sovereignty of their nation. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And you, and you know from your background, too, just the, the sheer amount of information that's out there on the Internet as well as other sources – and just trying to, to one, answer that or blunt some of that messaging is, is a very difficult situation. And just every day, it's just more and more the same. And it's all over the place. And depending on the what's going on, the, there's better opportunities in some countries than others. Right. So what do you see as the best use of civil affairs in Fifth Corps? <laughs> <laughs> a, a, thank you. Yeah, give me give me a softball question, but no, you're going to give me a. a tough that was the softball. You should see the hard one coming. <laughs> okay, no, that's fair. Fair enough. No, but, but that is a great question because um, the the simple answer and in, in what we've been working through at core is figuring out large scale combat operations and then all the enablers that help support that and what our role is in that. And the the easy answer, right? The second, the short sentence answer, it's really focusing on consolidation of gains is what I would say civil affairs role is before, during, and after conflict. And, and it's just preparing for right. that future potential conflict that could occur anywhere in the theater. Well, war does come. It's been, I mean, war's there. 
when I when I mean war coming, what I'm meaning is specifically NATO being involved in and in, in, in uh, being activated and in, in having NATO units in, in harm's way. Absolutely. But we can prepare for a large scale deployment and combat operations. But we also have to realize that most conflicts are going to be proxies like the one that's going on here. Are you trying to balance that or are you more focused on the large scale operations? Or do you not agree? <laughs> so it depends, right? So what's happening in Israel, Hamas, I would classify that as proxy war. Here in Europe with Ukraine, that's more nation state to nation state war. I think that's what NATO has stood up for. Right. I think that's what NATO forces are focused on doing as far as engaging if, if harm comes to Europe and our support. Well, the army is prepared to do either. But right this moment, I right. think, um, based off of our recent history, we're trying to shift back. And there is a mind shift as well as capability shift that occurs from fighting unconventional warfare, focusing on uh, engaging with brigades to large-scale combat operations where you have corps, divisions, fighting wars, and being able to resource that, be able to coordinate that and, and fight that. But the thing I would kind of maybe caution people to, to look at is they're using their past experiences. They were involved in either Iraq or Afghanistan and then reading about like World War II and seeing the difference between the two types of conflict, huge difference as far as the number of troops and soldiers and what, what it takes to be prepared. I'm going to sweat you a little bit here, Alexander. I'm sorry. <laughs> Who's the force you're going to fight? Belarus? Because Russia's pretty wiped out from this one. Do you really see them as, as a large-scale force to be reckoned with? So they're still at war now. So uh, I know a lot of people, A, thought that the war would end quickly, and then B, some of the problems Russia had early didn't make it look like they were doing very well. But we're basically almost at two years later, and they're still able to conduct warfare. There's still an active war going on in the East and Ukraine. Yeah, but they make Turkey look like a po world power. I mean, they're not really doing that well. <laughs> so the interesting, but, but, Sorry. but to be fair, do you really want to try to chew up your forces um, for what gain, I guess, at this moment? Especially if you can wait. If you can take, I mean, if there, right. if it is potentially a stalemate, there is some value in maybe just slowing what you might do. And then there's the 24 elections and, and depending on the level of support, if, if some of the thinking strategically is I'll wait um, opponent out, if their will might decrease, if their support might decrease to Ukraine, that will help me. So why, why try to punch hard now when I might be able to fight a much easier opponent over time who won't have the level of support that they have True. now? And to be honest, Russia has been emptying its prisons and throwing people who they don't see as their premium troops. But they, I mean, they started with some premium troops and they lost them, you know? So it's, it's not easy to, you know, it's like soft says, you know, the, the moment you need a soft person is not when you start training them because it takes so long to, to have that kind of skill. The other thing is, is I see Ukraine as a proxy war. Um, well, I mean, you've got NATO and the U S on one side supporting Ukraine. You've got Russia with ties with Iran, the Houthis, North Korea now, and some China supporting on the other side. So it has become a bit of a proxy so, war. So support on both sides is coming from other 
from other countries. I, I, I would agree with that. But the, but forces aren't involved on either side, though. I mean, it is right this second, it's still 100% from, from what it looks like on the news, Ukrainians versus Russians. Right. Or, so there's not like Iranian troops or North Korean troops sure. fighting f- with but, uh, Russians. No Chinese forces are right. fighting with Russians. But they're using the war to build up their own foreign policy goals. You know, they may not be directly involved, yeah, but that's the difficult thing. I mean, when you when you talk about politics and the military and economics, there's a a web there that all three impact, and and you pull on one string and it affects the others. It is something that's able to be a war in Ukraine, which is on the opposite side for Japan, China, South Korea, North Korea, are able to use also right. to their advantage in varying degrees. I thought it was amazingly important that they released the photos of the Chinese ship dragging its anchor across the, the Baltic Sea <laughs> to damage the Nord Stream. I thought, I'm glad that they did that to show that it's not just a very narrow focused war. There are other nations out there that are taking jabs at this thing. So, And that's why I'm starting to think mm, this might be something to where Iran is taking advantage of it for their own goals. You know, North Korea, China, and it's becoming, I don't know, a little bit out of control that way. Everyone's kind of trying to take their own advantage. And that's that's why it looks weirdly like a proxy, but also a direct conflict. Interesting. Yeah. I, I would say that the longer this goes on, what I'll say is that the, the more likely something could go sideways on somebody, because you just don't know what somebody might may right. or may not do um, in an act of desperation. Right. right. And the thing is, like PRC, government-supported industry, they may misconstrue what the PRC is trying to say about building support or doing effects to support the Russians in this conflict and do something that is really damaging and go way overboard and cause China to really have to backpedal on stuff. I don't imagine the PRC directly getting involved, but I could see them getting in the thick of it with you know, people like the captain of this Chinese freighter damaging the, the pipeline. Yeah, sideways is, you're, you're right. It's a very easy way to when go. When things are confusing or uncertain, um, some people will try to take advantage of that, those circumstances to their advantage or miscalculate things. It's like playing cards in, in some aspect. You, you do see some of the cards on the table and you everybody has their cards close to vest and it's difficult and somebody may overreact based off of circumstances or over project what they think their hand is and do something that, could lead to all kinds of second and third order effects. So, and that's your, your job at fifth quarter is to be ready in case that happens and we need an influx of civil affairs. Yeah. The, the great thing about the army and the, the worst thing about the army is that we have national interest and we are prepared and have shown the ability to be able to project power all over the globe. And so you need to be prepared to go just about anywhere. And that's difficult because there's, all kinds of civil environment factors as well regional issues that affect every single country in different ways. Right. And the thing is you, you have a tough job because you also have to be a consultant to your commander on civil issues. And, and like you were saying, it's not only military, but social engagements, economics, political issues that you have to consider. And it must be difficult when talking to some people in the military who are focused on just the combat operations to say, 
look, we can get further through an economic push in this, or we can actually set the conditions by doing these things in a social setting. Have you seen a lot of support for how civil affairs uses PMISI to shape theater or prepare for operations? So, yes. And and I would and I would agree 100%. It's a very difficult situation because what we're talking about is the civil environment. So the, the difficult thing and probably the one thing that really at an operational level that is very difficult is we're talking about multiple actors, right? So you're talking about an interagency environment. You're talking about a host nation environment. The easy thing in some cases or the easiest of the problem sets is working with the military because you have right. a similar mindset similar goals, similar cultures in some extent. So understanding a military person, it's having some commonality there makes it a little bit easier. It's probably the easiest, but then you're talking about, in our case, NATO allies. So you have different languages, different histories, different cultures. So there's some problems there. And then everything else after that almost becomes incredibly hard. You're talking about working with uh, IOs and NGOs or civilians. You're talking uh, host nation individuals who may or may not understand the military, may or may not understand your culture, may or may not have similar goals and objectives, and then trying to get everybody focused on that same team. It's almost like a band. All, all care about playing music, but they all might want to play different music. And you're <laughs> trying to get everybody to play the same song. That sounds so easy. <laughs> yes. So, so that's where I would agree 100%. It's, it's a very difficult job in that aspect. Right. But if you can do it, and if you can do it, it works out great. And the better you can get people once they start seeing some of the value in it, they do. Or if the problem set is severe enough, people do see the, the value in that aspect. Right. Some of my counterparts in, in different regions, I'm sure there's tons of successes that we could probably highlight. And hopefully people are either writing about or speaking about that are highlighting those successes in an interagency uh, realm. Sure. Columbia has been a big gold star that a lot of people have been talking about because we didn't use a lot of direct action, but we worked with partner nation forces. We did training, we did advising and cross-agency plus NGO work to help the Colombians actually become more stable to where it's not constant chaos in, in the Western region. So that one's always been a plus. A lot of CAs talk about their work with crisis response are working with partner nations and NGOs. That's where they really cut their teeth on moving beyond the agencies and partner nation, but actually working into the civil society side to make yep. things happen. Crisis response might be one of those areas where a lot of our, our goals align very well. Right. So it's a, probably an easier problem set to get everybody on board. Like I said, in that band scenario, getting everybody to play the right, the, the same music. Yeah. People are already kind of focused on helping in that in that vein and then it's just right. doing more of the same yeah because it so, has a rally point yeah that would i could see that <laughs> definitely as a win for civil affairs and yeah when it comes to prevention or trying to keep an adversary from taking action that's it's a lot harder <laughs> that is a, yeah yeah and so the more people that have to get involved the more steps you have to take to make that happen it just it's just very difficult um, if sure. getting everybody focused on doing that, that level of commitment to do that, um, to stay focused on that time, very, very difficult. Something existential like that. That's a great, that's a great example. So what do you recommend for CA people coming into core to be working on issues? Do you get a lot of CA people coming in to 
you know, work short-term orders or special assignments, stuff like that. Ah, okay, yeah. Okay, so now you're throwing softballs. So I, I, I like you again, Chef. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not the tough but No, I'm just kidding. Well, now that you're warmed up, I'll get, you know, just go for it. <laughs> I, I talk. No, 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 no. Actually, that's a, an important question because not just here in fifth core, but at any core um, or division, focusing on those problem sets and, and being prepared to, to engage. So understanding the region is is one thing. So if you're going to go to a specific geographic region, understanding that, sure. I would put, for especially for civil affairs, at the top of, of the list of things to do. And then where it gets more difficult for a reservist or someone on the in the National Guard, it's understanding commander's intent, sure. commander's focus, commander's um, missions and goals, objectives, end states, all very difficult because a lot of that stuff is um, on classified platforms Right. in a lot of cases. Uh, a lot of the briefs are on classified platforms. So getting access to that information sure. sometimes is, is very difficult. So that building that level of understanding of what is happening in the military at a three-star command and then with our partners that are we're supporting and working with, understanding what how they're used, um, the relationships, the, the biggest thing for civil affairs, probably your Rolodex, right? right? So who you know or who you don't know, and then reaching out and trying to build those connections are all things that have to happen, and it, those things take time. Yeah. Do you think civil affairs, especially on the reserve sides, does enough to provide that secondary support through the Rolodex, basically, the networks, the the reach back to help people achieve that goal? Or do you feel like you're more tied to the active duty side and you really don't have that connection? So what I've seen, because I've been a little bit more outside of the brigade, I think all of us have connections with interagency, host nation partners all over the globe. Sure. If the cores that are out there in uh, AFCCs and some of the deployments that everybody's going to around the globe is similar to what I'm seeing here in Europe, then there is a number of people who are being forward deployed every year who are meeting with all kinds of military as well as civilian individuals in, in, in everywhere. It's capturing that knowledge management, CKI is probably the most important thing. And then trying to communicate that throughout the entire force is what I would say would be the benefit because there are so many people who are probably meeting every aspects of, of the, of a country and trying to communicate that maintaining that is the, the next toughest thing with people who are coming and going all the time. Uh, we learned that in Iraq and Afghanistan, it's very difficult to maintain relationships, civil affairs, like, Hey, during my rotation, we had a great relationship with so-and-so or, or, um, this unit or, or in this area. Right. And then as soon as you leave, the next group comes in, they may or may not be as successful as you were. Yeah. And the, the reality is that we always need to, to be as successful as possible, maintain those relationships as much as possible because people are the, are the, the solution to those problems. It's true. I, and I, and you've pointed out something important and, and that is the balance between building that relationship and handing it off to the next group that comes in to replace you. Cause you're right. It's there. There is a dichotomy to relationships. I see it, especially on the Hill here, so, but there's gotta be a way for people to keep their relationships sacred but also to pass on the context to where the new group can come in and at least do business and do their job. So there's, there's got to be some kind of way to guide that. 
Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. And I've had some conversations with a few people here in court. A lot of it is, so we're talking about like art and science of like leadership of civil affairs. There's, there's an art and science to, to some of this. We have doctrine that kind of dictates how we go about doing certain things. And then there's the art piece as far as um, bridging those gaps, making those right. connections, developing those relationships. A lot of it is uh, person-centric. That reminds me a lot of some of the success stories that I've heard with the National Guard state partnership programs, where the leadership from a National Guard state headquarters and a partner nation you know, really hit it off because they took it to a personal level. They, they would bring people over, they would they would host and it, and it made it much more local. They made it more human. And that's, that's great. So I had seen the state partnership program in Europe specifically. And I, where I would say mm-hmm. in, in that case with the national guard, where it has an advantage is you're talking about people who typically have much longer longevity in a unit. So they, you know, kind of grow up in that entire unit typically in uh, like the tw- I'm thinking like the 20th Infantry Division is a, a good example in Pennsylvania. And then that connection has been ongoing with a country. So they build that relationship over time. And so what I'm getting at is that you might have an individual who might have been a captain, a major, a lieutenant colonel, colonel, who've been going to a country, developed relationships, maybe even a friendship with a couple people. And I've seen both of them kind of grown up from a junior officer to a more senior officer or NCO over that time. And that's the power of that kind of relationship in that, in that program. Right. Matter of fact, I had Dr. Joseph Long on who teaches about irregular warfare, Defense Security Cooperation University in Virginia. And he talks about how one of the things that needs to happen with irregular warfare and special forces is they need to build a longer term vision of working with partners. So if it's like a two teams that are rotating in and out, that they constantly work with the same partners in order to build that long-term relationship. I think that what you're talking about and with the state partnership program, I think it's starting to bleed over into different aspects of SOF and CA. For anyone who's working straight in a partner nation cooperation or like state partnership program, I think that that has become more the norm or the standard for those type of operations. And it's a good thing because it's, it's more personal. The challenge is, is how do you take that personal relationship and build it out to where it supports foreign policy? Sometimes it can just get too personal. You know what I mean? And it, it shifts away from the bigger picture. So that's a great point. I'm sure there is a challenge there on that aspect. I would think that just in general, the level of cooperation and working together Having that, like I said, that, that built-in knowledge that this is the people I'm going to be working with or a unit I'm going to be working with. If nothing else, seeing at least that patch on someone's shoulder and, and knowing that is, is so key. And like I said, it, we're talking about, in some cases, uh, close to a decade relationship, if not more. And it's, that's just so important, right. um, being able to do that. So do you have advice for folks that are going to come to fifth core do they need a capabilities brief do they check in with nine shop do you get a lot of ca folks coming in to do short-term orders in fifth core and what do you recommend for folks that want to come in so i would say there's never just one way of doing it supporting the core level exercise is a great way it's a short-term event 
that allows an individual to come, see how the core functions, understand the battle rhythm, see a lot of the key events that happen during a week, and with those working groups, what is needed at those working groups and what the core is focused on. And you can kind of learn a lot from that right. aspect. Does the KCOM usually come and support, or is it a brigade that? So yes, they do. Yeah, they, and they and they and they will with our warfighter early next year. But as far as some of the the other exercises that we've had in the past, they have come. Um, and actually, the, the benefit we see, and the reason why I bring it up is, in the case of like the CAP T, our, our civil knowledge uh, integration cell, right, being part of the exercise, and then eventually coming on orders for a deployment as a, uh, a fill forward has been invaluable. Those, those individuals have a, a greater understanding of what Fifth Corps is trying to do, and it just allows them to then, once they see, they do their rip with the group that's ahead of them, what currently tactically going on, and then being able to, to put the two together and be, get up to speed and, and run. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to do it. Bring them in for exercises, and then if you need them for short-term orders or for a deployment, just plug them right in and, and they can run. The biggest yeah. challenge I always see though, is getting them network access or security yes. clearances. There's some, the unfortunate reality is getting access. It, it is the most difficult aspect and it shouldn't be because it's something we can control. Right. And it's, it, in a lot of cases, it's just doing paperwork but right. for whatever reason, getting that level of access and being able to, this as simple as, as being able to have access to a portal. So that's another way of, of a unit being able to understand sure. what we're doing at core or, or anywhere around the world. Yeah. I'm just talking nipper. I mean, but I have to admit, I just went on active duty and I used the army reserve Citrix and Microsoft 365. And I was able to more quickly plug in to the active duty element than ever before. So it, there is progress having at least a third party to access email and share drive and stuff like that did make a big difference. So it is good news. It's, it's just getting used to using those mm -hmm. things before you go down. Now, the, the, the great thing probably uh, both for PAO and CA in a lot of cases, maybe the, the we're lucky in so far as there's maybe more access to sure. information on the nipper side. So, so the leap of what a soldier would have to get from a, uh, from a reserve um, standpoint, linking into that active duty unit, the bar may not be that high to have to jump over in some cases to get there. Right. Is there any other thoughts you have on CA at Fifth Corps or CA's role in the field or some of the cool stuff you're doing there? Um, do you want to further debate if Ukraine is a proxy war? What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I'd be willing to talk about that, but what I what I what I'll leave you with is this: um, I think there's a mindset change that is currently going on. Global power competition, large scale combat operations is currently what I think the military is now starting to focus on. A lot of the exercises are coming back to those kind of things. Um, what you see going on in the world, the the threats are all maybe more geared towards that. The rise from brigade fights to division and core fights is a huge difference in understanding of what that requires. And soldiers are going to have to, to learn how to, to work in that environment for civil affairs. Networks, in the case of Europe, understanding 
our NATO allies, developing those relationships, all going to be very, very important. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. And now, most importantly, to those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations, thank you all for what you're doing. This is Jack, your host. Stay tuned for more great episodes, 1CA Podcast.